Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. And welcome to Game Changers Live. My name is Sergio Tijera. We come to you each and every week with some amazing, amazing guests who have been game changers in their field. And today, my special guest is a hometown hero here, Samaria Hudson, President and CEO of the Chapman Partnership. Hi, Samaria. Hi, Sergio. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for this incredible opportunity. Thank you very much. No, it's my pleasure. So as president and CEO of the Chapman Partnership, Samaria oversees the strategic, programmatic, financial, and managerial operations of the organization in support of its mission and vision. With more than 20 years of experience, she has held key executive roles in leading large-scale franchises, product portfolios, and driving product innovations for top medical technology and healthcare companies in the U.S. and in Europe. And during her time in that medtech healthcare industry, she was responsible for global marketing, including strategy, commercial excellence, portfolio management, and research and development. And in 2016, she helped drive Convitex flotation on the London stock market, the largest IPO by a healthcare company in Europe. Fantastic. And then in 2015, she was named the top 50 business leader of color by Chicago United Organization. She served as a member of the board of Cole Children's Museum and the Baxter Foundation, and she earned her MBA from a a a small school up north that maybe you haven't heard of, Harvard Business School, and a Bachelor of Science from Alabama A and M School of Business. So, welcome so much to the show. Oh, thank you so much. That's a mouthful. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've done a lot over the years. Well, well deserved, well deserved, and and that's what we love to talk about here because obviously you know, um, how we're raised, uh, the experiences we have over our time and the lessons we learned uh, can be related, can be relatable to many other people that are that are listening and watching the show and uh, are on a similar trajectory, right? Um, it's not always a smooth road, as we know, we, we go through life and there's challenges and there's successes and, and fantastic things that happen. And so let's talk a little bit about you and your background before we get into the Chapman partnership and all the great things that they're doing. Uh, so to give me a little background on you. Sure, where, where are you born and raised? So I was actually born and raised in um, a small town in Alabama called Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah. I just recently had an opportunity last weekend to go back home and visit visit my hometown and actually be a tourist. I have a two and a half year old son. So oh, my husband and I um, were literally tourists in, our, in my own hometown and it was a lot of fun. I, I will say I'm, I'm one of um, five children. We came from a very modest background. My mom and dad divorced when I was young. I lived um, in public housing for a few years until my mom was able to buy a single family home in a very, what I consider a middle-class neighborhood. Um, as you talked about, you know, the roads are always interesting. You take every yeah. single learning, every single bump or bruise as a way to really learn and, and really continue to improve yourself. I uh, was very fortunate, though, because the values that my mom and my dad um, actually instilled in me was really the spirit of service, hard work, respect for others, and, and more importantly, really having the ability to be extremely determined in whatever it is that you want to do. And mm -hmm. I held on to all those values throughout my 
my childhood. I was one of those goofy kids. I always knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And besides being a fireman or, or a policeman, I, wanted to, <laughs> I always wanted to be a business executive. And I always knew that. And I knew that every move that I made was to line me up to be that ultimately be that CEO. Now, how and, did you know that? How did you know that? Was that just instinctual or did you see others that you, you well, like? I, I well, I will tell you part of it early on. I knew um, as a child, I knew I wanted to, to run things. And I know that sounds really, really <laughs> I was always the one that was the first to step out to try something new, to challenge the system. But really what I gained throughout certainly my, my high school years and my college years was I did a lot of, I spent a lot of time listening listening to others that had that had made it as as we would say and it was quite interesting i listened to advice i made sure that i was part of any mentoring program that allowed me to learn more about the profession or any pro the profession i wanted to go into but it, i did a lot of listening and i spent time i was again i was one of those kids where i was always on the front row if there was a guest speaker at college i sat on the front row because i was there <laughs> to absorb as much as i could because I really wanted to learn more about how I, how I got to, how I would end up getting to that ultimate goal of being a CEO. And, um, and of course, I am so grateful that I've made it there, but it took a lot of listening, mentoring, a lot of determination, making sure I put all the right points on the board to make that happen. And that's a very mature you know, perspective to take as, as, a, as a young adult, right? Or as a child where you, you understand that there's so much more to learn from others, especially people who have been down that road and have been successful. And a lot of times as, as younger kids, we tend to kind of dismiss the adults and, and kind of what they, <laughs> that they don't know enough. So that was, that was very, uh, let's say forward thinking on, on your part as at a young age. What are, I was always a self-starter though. And I think that had a lot to do. Yeah. I was highly, highly motivated about being successful and so the combination of being a self-starter and being successful, I was always looking for opportunities to build, you know, build my toolkit. And whether that's through advice from others or going to school and majoring in certain fields, um, I was always very motivated, highly motivated. I didn't want my life to be um, in the projects. And that's always a motivator itself. And yeah. even though, again, my parents or my mom moved into a single family home, I never wanted to see um, myself or anyone that I was connected with to grow up in that, in, in that environment, albeit was good. That was not my destination. It was only a temporary spot to get us, to get me to the next look, to get me to the next, um, part in my life journey in my life. And service was always a, a, a front and center value that you carried that your parents, you know, kind of instilled in you, right? It was. Um, my mom was really big in the community. When we moved into our our single family home in our neighborhood, she was always reaching out to our neighbors. Um, quite frankly, I, I never even knew what the word homelessness meant um, until I was a teenager. And it was quite interesting. I'll talk a little bit about that as I um, get into Chapman Partnership. But there were times, and this was a day when you can do that. Um, maybe there was a kid that may have run away from home and, and was on the streets, she would invite them in. I would wake up the next day and, really? and there was this little boy that's sleeping on our sofa, a teenager sleeping on our sofas because my mom brought him in. Wow. Um, so she was always big on doing what she could in the community to either lift someone up or, or, some, or provide a helping hand to someone who may be less fortunate.
Wow, that's a, that's that's an, an unbelievable example to grow up with. And so you went on, you graduated from high school, and you go into college. And what did you major in? What what were you thinking at that point? Yeah, finance, finance, finance. All right. Um, in order to really, I felt that in order to really understand how organizations work, you really needed to understand the finance piece of them or True. of that organization. So. I majored in accounting. I had an undergrad in computer science. And my mom was also very influential in that area. She studied accounting in school as well. So I carried on the torch. And I felt that if I had that background, no matter where I go, if it was getting an MBA or going off to work in an organization, I would always understand the numbers. And the numbers are very important. Most people are afraid of the numbers. But mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was something that I felt was an incredible piece to, to, to really build up my foundation. So certainly Alabama a and was the school that I attended. It, it is a historical black institution in the South. And, and I will tell you, it's probably one of the best decisions that I could have ever made. It was incredible. It was a great experience. It helped me continue to build my confidence as a person. And so when I left school, I, I walked away with, um, and I remember this, several years ago, several years ago, I actually had about five job offers um, because of the educational experience wow. I had. Um, I was a pretty smart kid. I had scholarships and um, dean's list honor roll. I was very active in school, so I was a very well-rounded kid. But I also um, interviewed quite a bit my junior and senior year. And so employers were very impressed by that. I also interned while I was at school. I tutored, I mentored other young people in high school and elementary school. So all of that rolled up to me having a, a, a great interview with a lot of incredible organizations. And I was offered five opportunities once I left school. A little bit unheard of today. I know things are different. But um, back then, I was able to walk away and had many options yeah. um, when I left Alabama A&M. Well, yeah, t times change, but some of the lessons don't in terms of financial literacy and the importance of understanding the numbers, right? Not only the numbers and how businesses run, how economies are run, but your own finances and how to take care of your own life and create your own plan. And that works up really well later on as we talk about the, the Chapman partnership, right? Some of the things Absolutely. you're doing there. Absolutely. I will tell you this. It's very interesting that you say that. I remember, and again, all these life lessons sitting at home. Um, one of the things I would do with my mother um, monthly was a monthly writing of the checks and mm -hmm. paying all the, all, the, all the bills, as we would call it. And I was always the kid that was part of that process, learning how to balance a checkbook, being the one writing the checks and... And so that it was my mom that really taught all of these early lessons for me and really sparked my interest to learn more about numbers and how companies are, are run and, and understanding the financial pieces of an organization. So it really was sparked from her. Now, if you, if you hadn't had that example, mm -hmm. were there at the time, were there organizations like Chapman out there that were, or similar organizations that teach financial literacy um, to, to others were they available out there, you know, in terms of resources at the time for you? I will, I will say this. Um, first of all, I, again, we were very fortunate. We didn't have to, we weren't homeless in any right, state. Right, right. And a lot of the programs that we took um, advantage of as kids were certainly community-based organizations where they taught life skills. Now, we weren't introduced to financial literacy. Of course, I was introduced um, through my family. But the programs that were offered to us were more life skills, like learning how to cook or learning how to, mm -hmm. to take care of yourself, really basic things. Um, and that's what was offered at the time. So um, all the other extra pieces yeah. to really help round you out as an individual came from your family unit. And that was my mom and my dad. 
And now we're talking about coding and JavaScript and all this other building apps. And <laughs> so, um, so then you got into the business world and, uh, you know, you had a tremendous experience. I think you spent some time overseas as well as we talked about in the beginning. Yeah, and, uh, I had a chance to, to, to live overseas for about six years as well. And I think that would, that's the most amazing experience for anybody to ever have and, and make it a goal if, if you can. Right. Tell me about I that. Well, we were very, very fortunate and, and it certainly didn't happen overnight. Um, the role that I had in London was a pretty large role. I was president overseeing three of four business, three of um, our four businesses within the organization. The company was about 1.8 billion. I was responsible for about 1.6 billion of the 1.8. Wow. So these things didn't happen overnight. It was all those points that I said that I put on the board in yeah. order for an organization like Convitech to even give me a second look. I spent 15 years in MedTech before going to Convitech in 2016. I had a number of different positions working for some amazing organizations like Hospira. I was a general manager there. And I was spent eight years um, within the organization, and I moved from general manager to vice president of global marketing, then head of global marketing, and then also vice president of marketing for the U.S. region. Then from there, I transitioned to Baxter. I was hired as a strategic hire in the organization, and then ultimately within eight months became the head of a $2.1 billion franchise. Wow. And then prior to MedTech, I was in a, a number of different industries from consumer goods to financial services all where I led marketing, some really keen marketing programs to help organizations grow, put together strategies to help expand our footprint. So again, it all culminated into um, this incredible opportunity that was presented to me at Combatech. And it was quite interesting, Sergio, because my husband and I had talked about having a plan. And I'm so glad you said that it wasn't something that was we thought of just one day and said, oh, let's go to London. We always had a plan to live um, um, outside of the U.S. I've always had an international um, role within my organizations, but it really isn't truly international unless you spend right. some time on uh, within a different country, literally time spent. So when the offer came along or the opportunity came along, um, I wouldn't say that I jumped at it right away. I, I we, we went through a lot of due diligence and asking ourselves, what does this mean for our family? What does this mean for um, for us certainly being in another country for a few years? The role was so big. I was president overseeing three businesses, but I was also responsible for all of research and development. And then I also knew going into that that there was a possibility that there was going to be an IPO. So it's mm. like driving the car and changing the wheels at the same time. Oh, yeah. You really, really are talking about a full-on um commitment that I needed to make to work hard to help the organization be successful. So we, you know, certainly I signed up. They liked me and I certainly liked them. I talked about the stories of me interviewing because I was also committed to my current role. I was at Baxter. I had a pretty large role. And I remember going through the interview process and I told the CEO, I said, if I do this, if I interview, I have to be back in the U.S. within two days. So I made <laughs> many trips back and forth to London almost overnight trips where I would go right. in and I would interview, um, rest my head just for a minute, then turn around and get back on a flight right. back to Chicago. But either way, we made it happen. And so I joined the organization. Um, I had hundred and about 160 employees reporting um, under my responsibility. I had about seven direct reports with positions ranging from vice president 
um, of R&D all the way out to a former owner of a business that we acquired um, across all the different continents. Wow. So it was quite a quite an incredible organization and incredible um, role that I had at Compitech. Now, one of the things you mentioned was was it wasn't an overnight success, obviously, right? But people, uh, you mentioned that it's important that you kept putting points on the board. Absolutely. And these are the the things that you the small things that you do every day that begin to accumulate, and you get one percent better each and every day, right? So, what does what does a typical day look like for Samaria? that others can say, okay, maybe if I follow a similar routine, right? What, what, what is that? What, what happens when you wake up, right? Or do you Absolutely. do some, you, I, I you will meditate, tell you, do you, yeah, you know, let do me gratitude? You, what do you do? This is amazing because um, I, um, let me just first start with, I, I work very hard and I have all of my entire life um, because, you know, certainly, as I mentioned before, education was really important to me but being um, successful and successful certainly can be defined in so many different ways. It really depends on what sure. your own personal goals are. Um, but I work really hard. I know people often talk about working smart. I think you have to earn the right to work smart. And, mm -hmm. um, but I work hard. My, the people that report to me that are on my teams, I don't ask them to do anything that I, I wouldn't do or I haven't done myself. Right. And so that, it starts with that. So let me describe a typical day that I had in, in London. Um, I would get up at um, 5 a.m. I would be ready to go to the gym. I would be at the gym by 6. I would work out from 6 to 7 a.m. I would be back at my flat by, um, by 7.30. I would change and be on the train heading out to work, being in the office by 8.30. I would be there. I would meet with my teams because I'm always available. I always make myself available to my teams. I'm meeting with my teams for, for most of the day. Um, whether it's the CEO or, or my direct reports, I would be at the office until 7 p.m. I would go back on the train, wow. back to my flat, um, possibly get another workout in between 8 and 9 o'clock. I get to, the, get to my home, have dinner, go back and read emails, and then start the entire process all over again. And that includes up to six days a week. Oh, my goodness. That was my schedule in London. And how, how did you avoid burnout? I worked out. I worked out. I am certainly a person of faith. Um, I knew that the organization was counting on me. I had really great people, so I was able to delegate appropriately. But um, it, was really, it really just came down to just me making sure I had outlets. Right. And working out was that. You, you heard about the bookends. It's very, Absolutely. You know, I worked out twice a day. And um, I saw the difference when I didn't do that, when I had let my workout programs um, relax a bit. Oh, yeah. But that did allow me to release a, a little bit of stress, a little bit of tension. It was my own outlet. And then my husband and I, we did quite a few things together. When I had a break, we would walk around the city. London is an incredible walking city. Right. <laughs> and so we had a chance to do walk and you know explore the country. I travel quite a bit. I've probably gone to over 150 countries and so wow. we, we did a lot of, a lot of, at least I've done a lot of traveling personally. And my husband and I would take long weekends when we could to travel to different places. So um, I can't say that I've always lived a balanced life. I will tell you, London was a, a little bit extreme, but my life for probably 15, 20 years have been pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> so I was 150% in London. I was probably 
20% when I was in the U.S. working. I'm just I'm just a hard worker, and I, I always yeah. enjoyed what I did. I always had a lot of passion, and so I put everything into it. Fantastic. So now let's switch gears to the Chapman Partnership. You've yeah. been there about two and a half, maybe almost pushing yes, on three nine, years. Two and a half years. So yeah, and, uh, and doing Absolutely. some amazing work there. And so tell me about you know, the entire mission and vision of this, uh, of this organization. You guys are celebrating 25 years, right? Absolutely. There We've been go. around in the community. We've been leaders for 25 years. And I will tell you, um, when I first joined Chapman Partnership, I would get interviewed quite a bit. And, and, um, and I was always so fortunate to have an opportunity to tell our story, but I always got the question as to why Chapman Partnership. And I've done so yeah, many things. Yeah, it's a things. big change from it the corporate It is a big change, but I will world. tell you, I am certainly the one that is truly blessed. It is an incredible organization with incredible people. I have about 130 employees that are committed and passionate about the work we do. I mean, our mission, it really is about helping those that are, that are vulnerable in our community, those that are a little bit less fortunate, that may have had a difficult time in their life and they need an extra support system and an extra hand. We often say, we don't give you, we don't give you a handout, we help give you hope. And for us, it really is about providing what we consider comprehensive programming to ensure that our residents, when they leave Chapman Partnership, you're always going to be family, but when you leave, you can be self-sustaining in the community. And um, Sergio, we do everything from provide medical support. We have two facilities stretched across Miami-Dade. Uh, we have about an 800-bed um, operation. And at any given, any given point in time, our residents stay with us. So we provide everything from clinical support evaluation to extensive job training, housing support. We have an incredible family resource center. About 44% of our population are made up of a family unit. And when kids wow. come, they need a safe haven. They need to feel, um, yeah. they need to feel like it's a place where they can really thrive. And we have an incredible resource center for our kids and also for our moms and dads as well. But it is about providing that comprehensive support because we don't believe that it's just one thing that's gonna help you. We wanna make sure that we give you all the tools you need to be um, sufficient and self-sufficient in the community. Now, in this day and age with so many resources out there, when I see um, a, a homeless person on the street, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, how, how do we, how do they not know about all these resources that are available to them? Right. And it's, it's kind of sad because there's, there is no reason to have anybody out in the street these days. I, I would agree with that. And I yeah. think, well, let's, let's, let's put it into context. Um, 25 years ago and Chapman was very instrumental in this. We had 8,000 people on the streets of Miami Dade wow. and we're down to, right? yes, we're down to less than a thousand. I think the last count, we That's do incredible. a count four times a year and we're down to roughly 900 people. Now I often say still one wow. too many, but talk about a significant reduction. Big time. Now that, you know, certainly was a result of Chapman partnership. Um, the Homeless Trust, who we're an incredible partner of, as well as the other leaders in the business community. So that number has come down quite a bit. Now, what you and we, we're all are working hard to bring in those that may be on the streets right now to get them into shelter. But we call those individuals the chronically homeless. And right. they are often challenged. We try to get them in and, and unfortunately they leave right away. Um, these are oh. people that may have, a, 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 unfortunately, some mounting issues, things like either mental illness, drug addiction, et cetera. But we don't give up on them. We will continue to try. Yeah. Um, but it is it is far less compared to what you would see in other municipalities like Los Absolutely. Angeles, Las Vegas, um, New York, et cetera. 
Um, by the way, a lot of those organizations or a lot of those um, municipalities have visited Chapman Partnership because they want to learn more about what we do because we are we do have a very unique business model. And so we have invited them in, we've shared our best practices with them. And, and at some point, we really hope that um, they can get their numbers down as well. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think you guys have done an amazing job. Um, there's definitely been a, a tremendous reduction and it's very, very visible. And so you provide work, um, uh, housing, family resources, workforce development. How big of a component is, is mindset with assuming that, you know, they, they don't have the mental issues that make them chronically, uh, you know, homeless, but they do want to get up and, and, and out and, and better themselves. How important is that mindset, right? They're kind of creating that confidence in them that they could do more and be more than, than they is, ever have. It is very, very important. As a matter of fact, we help with that. Um, everyone needs to have a goal, right? Um, right? I always feel that's the only way you're going to feel yourself moving forward if you have a target. That's right. And so with us, we do provide case management support. So when someone comes into Chapman Partnership, within 48 hours, you are assigned a case manager. And these are one of those incredible employees that I, I said that I have the pleasure of working with. And right. so they help our residents create their own goal plan. And they have mm. check-ins with our residents throughout the week and throughout their stay. So that's how we help with um, either influencing the mindset or helping to change the mindset is helping our residents create their own goal plan. And so that's how we stay connected. And then uh, tell me about the Social Enterprise Academy that you guys have formed. That's, that's a tremendous project. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited. I was, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, I came into an incredible foundation at Chapman Partnership with the Jobs Program. And on average, we would help individuals get jobs, uh, probably about 1,200 jobs a year, which mm -hmm. is incredible. That's and huge. We hope to do even more um, coming out of the pandemic. But right. one of the things that I felt that we need, we could do a, a better job of is making sure that our, our residents get a job at a livable wage. Now, I used to visit South mm -hmm. Florida back when I was in Chicago. And then we were in London. We actually had a place here in Fort Lauderdale. And one of the things that I often heard about, and I wasn't a resident here, of course, I always mm -hmm. heard this notion around affordable housing. Yeah. That conversation has been going on for, for, for years. A Sergio. long time. Yeah. And so now you match um, lack of affordable housing with a um, getting a job at either a minimum wage or even lower, then you have a recipe for people coming back into the system. Yeah. So I said, we've got to not only help people get a job, but we have to get help them get a job at a livable wage, but more importantly, help them create what I consider opportunities to have a career. And that's where the Social Enterprise Academy was born from. The social piece was certainly um, adhering to our mission. The enterprise piece is really about creating opportunities to help our residents be successful in the community, but also giving back because the more that we can employ people, the more that they can help drive our economy. And so we created this program. We have an incredible partnership with FIU. So the recipe um, in which we selected the industries was high, um, high demand, excuse me, high supply and low demand. And construction is actually one mm -hmm. of those areas. And that's one, one industry that we're focused on. Uh, we also know that there are a lot of construction jobs that go unfilled. The construction industry, it's almost in recession proof. It was definitely pandemic yeah. proof. And so, but there's a lot of jobs that go on field because we just don't have the skilled labor in our community. Right. Um, so we have the recipe, right? We have incredible people. And what we needed to do was make sure 
that we educated them appropriately. So we created the construction program. We are in partnership, as I mentioned before, with FIU. We do instructional work. It is a 15-week program where 14 of that is a combination of in-classroom, um, also on-the-job or what I consider um, on-the-job training where you're actually working in almost like a lab setting. And then we also have a, a one week, and this is really incredible, Sergio, we have one week of what we call life skills because we do believe that hard skills are important, but life skills are almost equally important mm -hmm. to getting a job and also maintaining that job. Absolutely. So for one week, we do coursework, and these, these, this coursework is actually taught by our very own employees that have been trained by a professional adult educator. They're teaching things like resume building, first impression, how to work in teams, how to solve mm -hmm. conflicts. Now, I learned all of this on the job. Right. Uh, we have the yeah. benefit of bringing that learning and that knowledge to our residents before they even get their job. So we're very excited. And when that culminates into, um, again, 15 weeks, and when you graduate, you walk away with five national certifications, including your OSHA card. Wow. Talk about an incredible, <laughs> incredible program. And uh -huh. the, in the construction industry at that level, um, our residents are almost guaranteed a job at a livable wage. Now, the livable wage in Miami-Dade is roughly 13 and change. And so they're almost guaranteed to have a job at a livable wage, which was really our goal. But more importantly, we now put them on a track to have a career. So the next move they can do, they can further their education in construction or yeah. they can go into an apprenticeship program. But it gives them an incredible start. Right. And it gives them the roadmap so that they don't just kind of end fall back and they, they have a path going forward as to how they're going to show up every day and, and how they're going to build confidence, how they're going to work together with people. Uh, because that, that is everything, especially today in zoom and working everything. remotely. And but, we're very uh, fortunate just to make sure that our, your audience understands that it's not just a theory, that this is reality. We graduated this year, close to, um, 29 individuals out of our program. And we still held strong even during the pandemic. We started this back in January of um, 2020. And I will tell you, we're very fortunate. Our students hung in there. We did classes virtually, but we made sure we kept focused and, and made sure that we kept the program going and we were able to graduate our residents this year. So I'm very, very proud of, of, of that class. We actually have to combine two classes together, but I'm very proud of our residents hanging in there with us and, and graduating with you know, with pride that they were the first class to, yeah. to come out of the Social Enterprise Academy. That is fantastic. I mean, what what a beautiful project that is. And and as the city grows and develops, everyone else rises with the tide. Absolutely. And that's, that's kind of the idea, right? Nobody left yeah. behind. Nobody as, left behind. Uh, that's as right. and, are, and the other thing too, Sergio, we are also looking to expand. We, you know, we always keep a pulse on what's happening in the industry. As you know, I said before, I spent, you know, 15 years in med tech and in the healthcare space. And I recognize the importance of having good workers in the field. And one of the areas that we've seen a challenge in is our nursing community. You know, God bless them. They were just some of the most incredible people during the pandemic, but they've always been pretty incredible. But one of the things that I've learned um, throughout my 15 years working in the U.S. and Europe is that there's always, there's always, there has always been a shortage. No matter what side of the pond you were on, there was always a nursing shortage. We just didn't have enough nurses. Mm. And so we're looking to develop a program for um, a nursing program at Chapman Partnership as part of our wow. 
So we'll start with what we call uh, a certified nursing assistant program. And again, this is an entry level that gives an opportunity for residents to build a career track and go on to the next sure. level and the next level. But we're looking to add that to our curriculum in the near future. From homeless to nursing, that, that is incredible. <laughs> what a trajectory, right? That would be a dream for anybody. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we're very excited to be able to do something like that for our residents. They certainly is well-deserved, but, but they're the ones that work hard to make it happen. Well, Samaria, congratulations on your success and all the success that, that the uh, Chapman Partnership team has, has uh, created in this community. It wouldn't be the same without you guys, obviously, and, and continue doing all the amazing work that's uplifting people all around our community. Well, I appreciate that, Sergio. And I, I do want to make sure that folks understand that we couldn't do what we do without, you know, our partnership with the Homeless Trust. They've been with us for 25 years, and yeah. we have some amazing people that also give into Chapman. They invest in what we do. I call it an investment because it is a return. It is, yeah. It's a return on someone's lives being changed. And, and so we do appreciate our donors that support us through and through. And I know it's been difficult the last couple of years, yeah. but I will tell you, our donors have truly showed up and supported us even during the pandemic. So I don't want that to go, you know, um, unnoticed, yeah. unnoticed because Unrecognized, it's so important yeah, for, for sure. us to recognize the people that support us. It's all a team effort. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Samaria. Loved what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable, so I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it. You may end up being the game changer in their life.